Um, and she, we meet her and she's a filmmaker. And I was telling um, this in a private conversation, but I was saying that I want to, to my mind to date, Nikki Green is still the best black female, like the best written black female character um, or in best treated female character on a teen television show. And that's not saying a lot, but she's the, I think this, her depiction is still the best. And this is Em. Welcome to the latest episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic. This is a podcast for nostalgic Gen X and millennials and binge watchers of all ages. On this podcast, we'll be discussing what we love, what we hate, and what's just a little bit problematic about the TV and movies that we're addicted to. And do a little bit of rewriting where necessary. On today's episode, we'll be discussing one of the most landmark television series of all time. The show that wrote the blueprint for teen dramas, Dawson's Creek. Running from 1998 through 2003, Dawson's Creek is, no exaggeration, a pop culture and television icon, introducing, introducing audiences to the concept of a teen-centered drama, meaning taking the, at the time, risk of centering teens on a TV show, and consistently choosing substance over style to craft memorable characters. When Fox reluctantly passed on Dawson's Creek, the WB saw an opportunity to add the slice-of-life teen drama to their roster, alongside the already successful Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and their gamble paid off, making the network the authority on teen drama to this very day. The breakout overnight success of Dawson's Creek has even been credited as an element in the success of the string of highly successful teen rom-coms of the late 90s and early 2000s, such as Can't Hardly Wait, Whatever It Takes, and Drive Me Crazy, to name a few. So what helped make Dawson's Creek such a cultural icon? Stay tuned. Stay tuned. In season one, we are, I think we, we learn about these sort of characters like right off the bat. I, I want to say that the first couple of minutes are, you know, we see this very beautiful, very idyllic New, uh, New England town. And, you know, there's Joey and Dawson sitting together on, you know, his bed watching this movie. 
and then finishing a, a sort of motif that will like come over and over and over again, like throughout the the run of this series, this sort of Dawson and Joey sitting together on this bed and watching this movie, whatever movie that they're watching, we understand that like, you know, it's going to, it's about to be like the first year of high school and these are two best friends. And, uh, and then we launch into this dialogue that's like super overwrought, (laughs) but, um, I guess works, but works for the, for the sense of the show. I think this is also where you start to see like teenagers start talking like adults. Mm-hmm. Like they don't talk necessarily like teenagers and yeah, through the pilot we're introduced to, you know, our quote unquote core four, uh, Joey Dawson, Pacey and Jen in their life in, in, in Cape side. The show, by the way, beautifully shot. Uh, I did not remember that, but like very, very beautiful show, like very beautiful, very well shot, very beautiful. Like the there's like a frame where like Joey is like rowing in this boat down the the creek or whatever to her home where she lives. And it's like it's like a crane shot. and It's like gorgeous. And I did not remember any of that. That was cool. Yeah, um, Dawson's Creek was absolutely beautiful, beautifully shot. Um, now, this is something that I did remember from my first watches of the series. So I've watched, you know, full disclosure, I've watched the series like an unhealthy amount of times. <laughs> um, I, I I caught a few episodes here and there when it was first on television. And then I watched it because my mom was not a fan of Dawson's Creek. She thought that it was inappropriate for children, that they were bad children and a bad influence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, then I watched it again in its entirety. Um, so the show came out when I was 12 going on 13. I watched it in its entirety. Um, once it um, got to syndication, by that point I was 19 or 20. And I watched the whole thing in syndication twice when it was on late came on late morning, on, late mornings on TBS. So I was always blown away by the shots because um, I'm a huge nature lover. Like I love sweeping landscapes. I love greenery. I love, you know, just the thought of walking barefoot in the grass raises my serotonin levels. So I used to be, <laughs> I used to find this show breathtaking, all the scenes of them rowing down the Creek or the scenes of them, you know, walking up, um, the lawn towards Joey's house or Jen's house or Dawson's house. I always just thought we're just like, just made my breath catch. I always wanted to live in a place like that. Minus all of the overwhelming number of white people and the, 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 the passive racism. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, um, Alex is right. The pilot episode is stunning. Um, not just because of the landscape, because, and you guys know how I feel about pilots, no, regardless of what type of show it is, the pilot needs to match the sort of character development, the, the tone that you're trying to set. It needs to be the springboard for everything else. You can't just put out a pilot and then just chuck it, you know, a few episodes later and rework these characters for us. And Dawson's Creek delivered what I want in a pilot. We get a view of who Joey is, of who Pacey is, of who Dawson is, 
Um, Jen is our mystery element. So we get a very brief glimpse of who she is and mostly through Dawson's eyes since she is coded immediately as his love interest. We get a view of who Jen's grandmother is, of who Dawson's parents is, and who Joey's sister Bessie is. We know what we're dealing with. That's the kind of pilot that I can get on board with. Um, So I really appreciated that about the show. The show was supposed to be based on Kevin Williamson's childhood growing up in a small town in North Carolina and um Columbia asked him to relocate the show to Boston um which he didn't want to do it was filmed in Wilmington North Carolina but it was set in a fictional New England town called Cape Side that um, makes so much more sense <laughs> yeah <laughs> just like visually I was like I, I lived in Boston like for college like, this is not this place does not look like New England. <laughs> yeah, that ain't, that ain't, that is not that <laughs> New England. so much more sense. No, no, because like it does. It like, it, it felt very Southern to me. And I was like, why does it feel that? Like, it felt like South, South or North Carolina or the, like the Carolinas. And I was like, my good, my good friend, she's um, from South Carolina. I'm like, why does this look like three miles from like my friend's grandma's like backyard? Like, <laughs> going I, like and now that you've said that it, so much has been illuminated okay continue. <laughs> yeah so for whatever reason they were on some boston kick i feel like there were a lot of really popular series at the time that were set in boston and columbia wanted to have their shows on all the central hub so that they could share cast and crew in between shows i guess well not cast but crew in between shows and they could have network execs visit the sets um but kevin williamson was like it absolutely needs to be a small town um wilmington virginia was really really cheap to shoot in um excuse me wilmington north carolina was really cheap to shoot in it had the small town feel that they were looking for so while a few episodes and a few scenes like all the scenes that were supposed to be in boston were actually shot in boston and all the scenes that were in new york were also shot in boston (laughs) but everything else was shot in wilmington north carolina and the the wb liked the 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 landscape and the scenery so much they're like let's just put it in wilmington north carolina and say it's this fictional new england town called cape side and because wilmington has ports we could pretend like this was like a port town in new england so that's what they did so we see these like alex said very very southern looking if you've been in north carolina you've been in virginia you've been in georgia it looks familiar to you for a reason <laughs> well in season one we we are pulled into a conflict like the what what seems like a small thing but becomes the overarching conflict for like the entire series and that's joey's feelings towards dawson she right. and dawson and pacey have been friends all of their lives since they were like five years old so like two-thirds of their life at this point they're 15 the show starts right before they begin their freshman year of high school it's interesting because she has these feelings for him and they're unrequited feelings and that's a very common thing in friendships when one person develops feelings for the other but then jen comes into town dawson's feelings are immediately clear to both joey and pacey how he feels about this girl and he makes it no secret to jen either 
And it's not because Dawson is so suave and Dawson is so debonair. Dawson is just in some ways, not in all ways, but in some ways a lot braver than his two friends, which is a side effect of having a much better life than them, right? Dawson is used to having, getting the things that he wants and having an emotional support system around him and having a very, very easy life, to be very honest with you. So he makes his feelings very clear to Jen and then Joey's horns come out. The Joey Potter that we are initially introduced to is not a very likable person because she's kind of a bitch to Jen for something that Jen can't control, which is being being attractive to and in her own manner attracted to Dawson. Um, You know, she has no claim on Dawson, but she's mad at Jen because Dawson wants her. Um, Right. They never really, they never, it resolves, but they never really become, I mean, I guess they become friends by like osmosis because they end up, all four of them end up spending so much time together. But then you never really see that female friendship with Jen and Joey like flourish. Right. And this is something that I appreciated on the OC, you know, when it was like Summer versus Anna for Seth's feelings. You know, it was similar, not in the fact that Summer had always had these feelings for Seth, but that she had more time, you know, to to be in a relationship with Seth and didn't start noticing him until another girl came into the picture. Still, that was resolved and I feel a much healthier manner and a showcase in a healthier fashion. Um, Joey made Jen the enemy for no reason other than it was easier to blame Jen than to admit that Dawson had feelings for Jen and to admit that she had dropped the ball in um, admitting her own feelings. Right. And, and it is never resolved. We see a little bit of a friendship forming circa season three, um, but it never becomes like a real friendship. Yeah, never. Like we always, the, I think the, the, the friend groupings and which I appreciated because I feel that in, cause that that's real. I think in a friend group, you have a friend group and then like within that friend group, the, there are people who are closer and people who aren't. And I think you, we always go on to see, I think we'll go on to see Jen and Jack be super close. It, and Joey and what like Dawson be super close and like I guess with Pacey adjacent like switching off between the two um all three of them are super close and then Jen and Jack are sort of like in their own orbit as well yeah yeah and I also appreciated that I felt it was real I felt it was honest and the way that Joey and um the way that Joey and um and Jen have this huge tension between them it really would have felt disingenuous to push her into that friend group um of Joey Pacey Dawson and you know Dawson has these feelings for her that fluctuate constantly he you know he fluctuates between these feelings for Joey and Jen it really would have seemed disingenuous and it's very clear that you know, initially Joey only puts up with Pacey because he's Dawson's friend, not because they have a genuine friendship that doesn't even happen until like season two. Like she's known him all her life, but they don't get close till season two. Right. So like the way the friendship pairings are, I completely agree was just like done 
well, like just really well. Um, another big thing that happens is that, um, and then Jen and Dawson do get together. Sorry. I did like them. I like them so much together. Okay. And sorry, continue. And then next. (laughs) Oh no, no, no. Let's, let's sit on this for a minute. They do get together. It's super cute. Joey is very, very salty. Pacey, (laughs) Pacey could literally not care less because he's actually a good friend. And, and, it doesn't become an issue. Like, remember what I just said, like, five minutes ago about Dawson always getting what he wanted? It right. doesn't become an issue until Dawson realizes two things. Jen is not a virgin. And Jen actually, like, was with people before him. When that happens, he becomes turned off to the idea of of, of Jen and slowly starts sabotaging their relationship. Right. He does do that. And... <laughs> And I want to say that feels dated, but I feel like it's it could still be relevant. I think you could still do that. Oh, I know it's still relevant. relevant. It's not just 15-year-old boys doing it. There's grown-ass dudes out here that want to know people's body counts. So it's like, um, does that matter? Yeah. And she's like, yeah, does that like matter? Like, and and I think that's and I guess that's just like an enduring, like we like dudes are weird because Jen is like probably uh so Eve who will meet like I guess second season. Jen is probably like Eve adjacent in that like she's not in in Dawson's mind, right? Like right. He like Jen is like she, Jen's not overtly sexual, but like she is like super sexy and she is like aware of her body and like aware of herself, um and confident in that way and. Dawson wants her to be like you know and mm-hmm. and then he just he acts like such a dude and then like when and then like when the truth happens that she's like um yeah I'm not like a virgin it's he like freaks out and by the way to make matters even worse like when she talks about like how when Jen talks about how she lost her virginity it's like horrifying it's like I think she it's pretty much like um I want to say it like it was under dramatic circumstances. She talks about how she lost her, her like her virginity when she was like, what, 13 or 14. So like, but not, yeah. but to someone like way older. So like it was essentially statutory rape. So it's like, wait, so like it makes it even worse. Like that he's like putting this sort of trip on her when it's like the circumstances of which it happened was like, not even like, I mean, you can't even define it as, like, it, it wasn't consensual. Like, ugh. The whole thing is, like, unfortunate. Yeah, I believe she was 13 when she lost her virginity, and the guy was, like, 15 or 16. But the, the key element was that she was under the influence. Right. So she couldn't even, like, consent. And, like, Dawson is, like being Dawson because his fantasy of this girl is not matching up with the reality. And now he's having like this full on meltdown. And like Dawson's thing is like Alex says, he wants Jen to be sexy. He just doesn't want her to be sexual. And it's like, calm the fuck down Dawson. Like it's not a Madonna whore situation. She's not a whore just because she's not a virgin chill on that. And he very much has that like, um, 
you know, Dawson is someone that we are introduced to who lives very much in a fantasy. He's obsessed, and I mean literally obsessed with movies. He doesn't just like movies. He doesn't just want to make movies. He's obsessed with film, and he thinks all the answers of life can be found in cinema. As a result of this, even though he's someone who's very much capable of moments of pretty startling self-awareness, he lives in a fantasy in regards to his expectations and his relationships with other people. He wants them to play out like a film. And then he gets in his feelings when they don't. <laughs> right. For like whatever reason. I mean, well, no, because he's just, he just he's is who awesome. he is. He's Dawson. That's so he sabotages that relationship completely on his own. And when Jen starts to feel that insecurity, right, that she's being judged by him, which she is, she fucking is. <laughs> um, she's someone who is coded in the very beginning. What the audience sees of her is wanting to make a fresh start. Her parents sent her to Cape side more or less on punishment. And she's using this opportunity to be in a place where she doesn't know anyone and no one knows her to basically turn over a new leaf. And when she feels this judgment from Dawson, she feels tempted to regress to her old ways. And it doesn't help when her ex-boyfriend shows up in the picture and pretty much um, obliterates anything that was left of her relationship with Dawson and she eventually breaks up with him and it was long overdue to be very honest. Right. It is. That's He's ridiculous. The other two major things that are happening is that, well, let's yeah. Two major things that are happening besides the, the Dawson, Joey, Jen love triangle, which Dawson isn't even aware that he's in a triangle. Like Jen is very aware of his feel of her of Joey's feelings. Joey knows her feelings, obviously, and Pacey is aware of Joey's feelings, but Dawson is completely oblivious, high key because he wants to be. <laughs> he doesn't want to confront Joey's feelings yet. And he honestly, he doesn't have to. He shouldn't have to be forced to confront her feelings because she's ready to unburden herself. But the other two things that are happening is that Dawson's mother is having an affair and Pacey is, and I lose the term affair very loosely here, having an affair, quote unquote, with his grown ass English teacher, Miss Jacobs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A mess, you guys. Y'all need to stop putting statutory rape as a plot device in these damn shows, please. Yeah. So the Pacey teacher storyline does not has not aged uh well um to say the least at all and it's and from beginning to end it's just like horrible to watch it's, it's horrible to watch at the end of episode one we meet miss jacobs and she walks into the video store um it's very obvious to me it should have been very obvious to her that she's dealing with like literal children when she's talking to dawson and pacey Dawson, I believe, is the one who recommends a movie for her, but she can't keep her eyes off Pacey. He can't keep her, his eyes off her. And here's the thing about these types of relationships. I completely understand this younger person, especially, and we'll learn this later, someone like Pacey, who's never had any sort of emotional support <clears throat> or affirmation or validation from his family, being attracted to an older person or an authority figure, especially one that's as attractive as Miss Jacobs. It's the reverse that is creepy and icky and, and completely um, unfounded and baseless that this teacher would have feelings for him and then she would act on them. Um, it's, it's completely predatory, you guys. It's completely predatory. Um, it is 
a form of taking advantage. Um, and it very much is coded as, you know, um, he feels more like a man because she wants him and she feels youthful because this boy wants her. He's 15 years old. It's just gross. Like, and they, so the show codes it very much as like, yeah, this sort of like great, like romance. I think even the way it ends, like I want to say is like, they, even when it ends, it's like, oh, it's a bittersweet or like it's sad. But like I said, it doesn't, it just doesn't track. Like, it's just such a, it's a plot that just has not aged well at all um, because of the nature of it. And like you said, like, it's, it makes sense for Pacey to be attracted to her. It doesn't make sense for her to be attracted to him. Like, she's, gr- like, she's a job. Like, she's grown. She makes her own money. She lives on her own. Like, and there's nothing. And even worse, like, and I think something that's even worse about it is that they dumb down, they dumb her down. Like this actress like plays her, plays this teacher uh, so flighty and stupid and kind of stupid and very like, (laughs) and I guess it's like in an effort to like work this, like make this relationship work in the context of the show. Um, but, but like it, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It's even watching it back, uh, now it's awkward. It's awkward to watch (laughs) and they probably would have just been better off. They would have, I think you could have gotten the same sort of like, not forbidden romance, but I think you could have gotten the same, like, uh, you know, he's a bird. I'm a fish type of like relationship with like, maybe like a, like maybe like the senior girl in, in high school, like a, a girl who's like a senior, like right. being into Pacey, um, which would have been less icky, like, you know, and I don't understand, yeah. like, this is clearly, it's just, it's clearly to hype up the drama, but like, there's nothing, there, there's just nothing of it. And it's, it's unfortunate. Cause this is like uh, the sort of like older woman, like wanting to feel better about herself um Mm -hmm. having sex with like a a younger man like and not just like not like a may december but like in like an inappropriate relationship which this one very much is is something that we'll see over and over again i think we've already like reviewed shows where we've talked about this type of plot Mm. and uh the (laughs) fact that it's been used over and over again makes me think that there is some element of truth that like because like we've talked about this in in terms of um like people don't study like women who are predators because they think like women particularly like white women and the way that white womanhood is um constructed they don't think white women can be predators um but i but the fact that this plot keeps showing over and up over and over again makes me think that maybe there beyond it just being something easy in a popular plot makes me think that there is some element of like honesty that in in that like this is a thing that happens and I guess I'd like to see it so I'm not against it happening I guess I'd like to see it like I guess I'd like to actually see like a show be honest with it and that like no this is a predatory relationship like this is bad and then afterwards seeing like the fallout of or and like the the residual trauma that that comes 
from that type of relationship for like the younger person if like we were to ever see this like again on another show i agree with that um and i have the same issue that alex had with it um a i feel like this like you know this you know can't work relationship could have been could have hit just the same if Pacey was like the secret boyfriend of a popular girl at school or something like a senior girl um I also don't like my biggest issue with the Tamara um Pacey um plot line was how it was romanticized it very much um was you know when she lost her job and she left Payside over the rumors of this like it's so bittersweet like the world doesn't understand us type shit and like not her actually having caused him harm. And, you know, um, like Alex said, we've discussed this when it comes to the nature of like grooming and statutory rape. And it's not just a matter of race, right? It's a matter of gender as well. People really have a hard time wrapping their brains around the fact that women can be statutory rapists of men. Um, they almost cheer when some young boy is taken advantage of by an older woman they consider it very much like she has made him a man in fact pacey says this when recalling their relationship in season two like she made me a man now alex's perception is that they dumbed um tamara down which um, might have been the case um i wasn't i wasn't focused enough on her to 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 um say that that was definitively untrue. But what I will say is that I noticed that they, they, they matured Pacey um, very, very sharply after his interactions with Tamara, he's introduced to us as this like goofy fun loving guy. And then after um, Tamara, he becomes like this, like mature wise sage almost in their friend group. Like, like, Pacey's friends start seeing him more seriously and even the manner with which he carries himself is more serious and just treating this like it's a romance like Tamara did him some type of favor is why this hasn't aged well it doesn't hit you guys like it's really gross <laughs> yeah well um Tamara well I only she's dumbed down in the sense of like you do have adults on the show like Dawson's parents who are very much like who come across like as adults and authority figures like particularly like in interactions with like Dawson and Joey and Jen and stuff um, when they interact with the kids and they feel like, I mean, they're obviously they're, they're actual adults and then they feel like adults and Tamar just doesn't, she doesn't feel like that at all. Like even when she's talking to like um, when everything starts to happen, she never, she's very, they, she acts like one of, one of the, the kids as well. Which right, like I she's too old to be doing in the first place. Like the actress right. is too like is visibly too old to be doing. Like so it it it's all it's all so strange. The whole yeah. plot line. Strange. That actress is the same age as the gotta be in the same generation as the actors who play um Dawson's parents, Mitch and Gail. And but she has no husband and she has no kids um, that I notice even more than her behavior, to be very honest, like they tried to just make her like this very available woman that just happened to be older. She is, you know, wildly attractive, but happens to not have a husband, happens to not have children, happens to live alone, happens to be like this kind of carefree individual. And I'm like, huh, hmm, that's just, you know 
convenient for right. this really for this really really gross plot. <laughs> right, and it's not and. <laughs> And it's even it's that's even more annoying because like that's a very valid thing to be if you are that person. Like if you are a woman and you don't have kids, you don't have a husband, like you're living alone, like you're and you just and you you have a job, you're just like trying to get through life. That's fair. And and like I think that's even a depiction I think that we like encourage in order to like sort of have this separate ideal of like womanhood and like what that means. Like womanhood and like the the marks of maturing doesn't necessarily have to be like you get a husband you get some kids you get like you can be all those things with you can grow and be a person without all those extra things but like but like you said it's used like for on like deceptive and bad purposes it is. It's really fucked up. So Dawson's mother's having this affair, you guys. And it's interesting. Like, remember I said earlier that Dawson, it has like great moments of, of perception and self-awareness. So just from watching his mother's interactions and her body language with her co-anchor, co-anchor, because she's the anchor on their local news channel, watching these interactions over a couple days, couple weeks with her co-anchor and seeing her body language and her voice inflection he gleans that she is having an affair with this man and turns out to be 100% right. <laughs> you know, everybody's got to have a dream. Everybody's got to have a dream. First of all, like <laughs> that was that. I feel like more than setting this, like the stage of like his mom's having an affair, which is like the outward plot. Right. Would that scene when he like breaks down his mother's body language and her vocal inflection and her head tilt and things like that to um, Joey. And he's like, I think my mom's having an affair. And he like breaks it down why he thinks that is. It really shows for me overall, like above all else, that he really has an eye when it comes to cinematography and it comes to film. <laughs> Dawson. <laughs> yeah, that's, like the, that's the thing that convinced you Dawson was talented. But like, Yeah, like that's the only thing he ever did that made him so talented to me. <laughs> you're like maybe he has a little talent i don't know right like he went from someone who just likes movies a lot and is a white boy with a camera to someone who's actually clearly studied film right like a self-study but he was clearly watching these damn movies (laughs) for more than entertainment purposes so she turns out to be having an affair why and here's the thing that trips me out you guys no fucking reason whatsoever She's married to a handsome man who cheats her right. He is a co-provider in their household. They fuck vigorously and all over the house on a regular basis. Like, they don't have any stresses, financial or child or medical, that would want her, make her to have an outlet. She's just bored, you guys. Just your run-of-the-will, like, white woman ennui. Basically, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, that's what it is. On like, 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 this. Happens to them. That's like, that's, but that's real though. Like, women are like that. Like, they're just like, everything's perfect. I should fuck it up because <laughs> basically, happiness is just too much. Like, all this, like, all this happiness. Like, how can, how can, what can I do to offset this perfect, perfect cis het white nuclear family? Hmm. Hmm. Oh, that shit up. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I need a hobby. Um, and even like when she's confronted, like, like we're thinking later we might get to some deeper core hidden thing 
and there is no thing. There's no thing. Nothing is happening. And, um, his parents break up in this season. I believe this season, Joey's nephew, her, her sister, Bessie and her sister's boyfriend, Bodie are expecting a child. And in the beginning of the season, her sister is very pregnant and she has her son, Alexander, um, in this season as well. It's the very same episode where, um, the hurricane episode where, um, Dawson's father, Mitch, realizes that his wife Gail is having the affair. So a lot of things happen. Oh, oh, out of the car during the hurricane. My heart stopped. Yeah, I was not, I was not ready for that. I was not ready for that. that. I was used to watching. I'm not saying it doesn't happen in real life. In fact, I think it's very real, but remember how we talked about there's certain things that happen in real life that white people are hell bent on keeping out of the media. I have never seen like a media portrayal of like the white dude, unless he's already coded as abusive, right? Like the white dude still not going above and beyond to protect the white woman, even when he's angry. Yes, you're right. That's why that scene hit for me. (laughs) (laughs) Usually like, it would be like, he would just be driving home in silence. Right, he'd just be mad. Like he's just gonna sit there and be mad. Like he's upset about the situation and he's angry at you. But like... (laughs) We're all going to, like, deal with it, like, in our waspy, like, internal way. Because, right, right hasn't been coded as, as an abuser. But he throws her out of that car. He's like, girl, you better find your ass somewhere else to be tonight. <laughs> like, I'm going to fall the car. No. Mitch was not with the shit at all. <laughs> I was like, fuck this shit. Oh, my God. I died. It was that shit was wild. Mitch is a big guy. So the guy who plays Dawson's father, um, Mitch Leary is John Wesley ship. And he's a very big guy. Like he's only a couple inches shorter than James Vanderbeek, who is a tall guy. And he's really buff, man. He's hitting the weights. You know, this he looks good. Too. He, he looks so good for like a guy in his like what late mid to late forties. He was on that show. He looks very, yeah, he looks very and good. like, when he's angry, you guys, and that jaw sets, you don't want to. You want you don't want to play with this. <laughs> like when, when he kicked Gail out during the hurricane, I was just like, oh, oh. I was like, damn, that was wild. I was like, oh no, you're gonna let that white woman just be out in that hurricane by herself? He's like, yeah, yeah, I am. I don't give a shit. Like, like, like damn. It was not, it was definitely not the typical white male reaction. Again, unless they're coded as abusers, they're not going to, um, you know, leave the white woman to her own devices and not help her in times of need. This is actually more of a white woman response, right? Women in general and white women in particular are allowed to just like throw, um, what some might call a tantrum when they find out that their man is cheating, right? If roles are reversed and Gail had been the one to throw Mitch out in the hurricane, it wouldn't have hit the same because we've seen that before. Right. I mean, white women are, are encouraged to just throw tantrums, period. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, even just her having this affair when everything is, like, perfect, like, and she's just bored, it's really, like, a tantrum, right? Like, even that <laughs> in and of itself, white women are encouraged <laughs> to be, like, very flighty and very like tantrumy and like almost almost like children like the um it's why they can't get free because they always like encourage it within themselves as well they never like they're never like no i'm gonna be grown i'm gonna be a big girl in these big girl panties like they're like nope i'm gonna throw this tantrum because that's what i want to do so it's interesting that this interracial relationship 
1998 would be like a talking point. But like when, when Joey meets Jen and she's recounting like her life story and then the reasons why she's kind of like an outcast in Cape side, she brings up the fact that her dad's in prison and that her father, her sister has a black boyfriend as if they're, these two things are comparable. Right. I'm like, that's just so white. (laughs) It's so white. Like, oh, woe is me. My daddy got locked up and my sister's dating a black guy. And I'm like, he's literally like a model citizen and like a chef. Right? He's he's like (laughs) literally the perfect person. Yes. And And it doesn't matter. This man is fine. Like, this man is fine, you guys. Um, Interesting about um, um, Joey's sister, Bessie, too, played by Nina Rapita. She very much has a Southern accent, you guys. This is supposed to be New England, and her and her sister were both born and raised in Cape Side, but Bessie very clearly has a Southern accent. It's very, very, like, you know, like, almost like a soft Georgia accent. Um, So that should have been one of the tip-offs for both of us, I guess, that the show was filmed somewhere in the South. Um, Especially when she's angry, which I thought was interesting, and I'm like... And this is the things that white actors get away with. Um, a black actor would be like, oh, this show's set in New England. I got to drop my Southern accent. Um, if not, pick up a New England one, right? right. Um, but she just played the role with the whole Southern accent and no one no one said anything. <laughs> um, right. So she, um, she, because of this relationship as a, like a, a this relationship was used as a jumping off point um, in season one, at least to set up the stage for Jen's grandmother called Grams. Um, well, her real name is Evelyn. Grams's name is Evelyn, but Jen calls her Grams. Everyone calls her Grams. Um, is a racist. <clears throat> and it's interesting that she's a nurse because we've learned now, right. in like, I want to say the last 15 years, thanks to social media, that a lot of white women who are in the healthcare and education industries are flaming fucking racists. Yes, they are. (laughs) So, yeah, um, she is very judgmental of Bessie's relationship. She makes a couple valid points that she doesn't think this white woman can raise a biracial child, but her points are not from a place of like actual concern about the child. It's from a viewpoint of being anti-miscegenation. Um, so that's why she behaves the way that she behaves. Um, she doesn't think that black and white people should procreate. And that's, that's where her real beef comes from. But, and then later on, they try to like give Grams a rebrand. Um, in many series later, Graham starts dating a black dude. Right. I guess <laughs> like that's supposed to be like your Grams isn't racist anymore because we all know that you can, you know, because we all know that, like, when you have sex with a black person, it magically cures racism. Right. And this was a viewpoint that was set up in season one with Bessie. Bessie was clearly supposed to be that black person who, quote unquote, wasn't racist because she had a black boyfriend and a biracial baby. Right. Race was never discussed in their household. And we never saw a single member of Bodhi's family in their household. Like, he was literally just the lone Negro in Cape Side. Yeah, he he was. They're black friends ever, which is, I mean, it happens. It's just suspect. It's just always very suspect. It's quite interesting. That's all. 
but season one, season one is like, and season one is also one of these like relatively, it's like the first season. It's only like a 13 episode order. Um, and if I had to choose must, must see episodes of season one, obviously season one, episode one, Dawson's Creek, the pilot season one, episode three, kiss season one, episode five, hurricane season one, episode six, baby season one, episode eight boyfriend season one episode 11 the scare which will be like the dawson's creek like annual sort of like halloween episodes i really enjoy the halloween episodes each season and season one episode 13 decisions yeah so decisions is pretty much where um dawson this is like post the breakup with jen right realizes that he has feelings for joey and he runs to her and well in the original like in the original tv versions and the syndicate versions i'll be by edwin mccain is playing um and you know he goes to find her and there they finally get together and the audience can stop holding our breath i remember this is one of the most looked forward to season finales that i could remember as a you know a, a teen preteen. um it was so beautiful and one of the things i felt that really really um helped the show gain traction with a large demographic and get the viewership that it got was because every episode's trailer um was filmed like a movie <laughs> complete with a, with with songs with music that was going to be featured on the episode and everything it was great right right so in your opinion good bad basic it was great. I love great. season one of Dawson's like Creek. I fucking love it. I fucking love it, you guys. <laughs> yeah, I'll say, like, this season is, like, I've never actually, this is actually my first, like, true blue, like, watch of, like, every single episode in the series. I usually, like, I prefer, like, the later seasons, and, and when I want to rewatch, I just watch those. Um, but uh, I liked it. It's good. I'll say it's mm-hmm. good. I enjoyed it. And it's good despite that whole clusterfuck of a uh, plot with Pacey and um, Tamara. Um, despite all that, I feel like if it didn't have that, I would have given it a rating. It would have gone from great to fantastic for me. Um, the reason why I say it's great in spite of that is because as a result of the relationship ending, we get some of the first of what will be several really great performances throughout the series from Joshua Jackson. Um, so yeah, that's like one thing, um, that I could pull out that as a result of that, there's a, the episode where, um, he speaks to the school board and basically denies their relationship in order to not have, get her teaching license revoked. Right. And he's like, he's like contrite on her behalf and he's taking this major L on his, on her behalf, something he shouldn't have to, which I thought was fucked up also, but the acting in that scene bar none, the best acting he did in season one. So season two, season two, where are we at? Uh, Bring us in. Um, Joey and, and Dawson are in this brand new relationship. It's summer. And, um, she is mulling over a decision to go to France. So it's basically France or Dawson. And because Dawson, again, is used to getting whatever he wants and has had a very easy life, he 
begs her to stay with him and doesn't see the issue with it when she chooses him or why for someone who's had so much deprivation in her life, he is depriving her of more. Mm. Sad. We're also Ryan introducing- would never. Ryan would never. Ryan would never. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan would never, like, ever, ever. You, you be happy. Right. Um, and like, like, uh, so we also were also introduced to Andy and Jack, who will kind of become fixers for a little while. They're a brother and sister that moved to Cape Side. Um, and then Jack grows closer to Joey. They have a shared interest in art. They're like bonding. And, you know, post breakup with Dawson, Jen is sort of unraveling and sort of regressing back to her old ways, especially when she realizes that she wants him back and she can't get him back. He's very, very invested in Joey at this point in a way that honestly he was never even invested in her um, because of all the shared history and stuff. And so she makes a new friend, Abby Morgan, who might be like the worst person ever and the closest thing the show ever has to an antagonist. Right. Like a true blue villain. Right. Um, so let's talk about this Joey. So I just, Austin and Joey together are, like, insufferable to me. Like Same. Same. I'm just like, oh, they're horrible, like, and I don't want this. Like, I make all of this stop. Like, that's it. That's all. Like, they're, like, I just, I'm, like, because they're both sort of, like, aggravating characters, like, in a sense. But, like, when they get together, it just multiplies. And, like, all the aggro... Like, all the aggravation um, I have, like, just, just intensifies. But I want to talk about, like, Joey as a character for a second. So, Joey, like, is really perplexing to me. I think the way she's written is very perplexing to me sometimes. Because, like, I don't, like, even just thinking of it now, like, in season two, and then I think something that will be real throughout, I think, the, the run of the series is, like... <laughs> show doesn't I guess the show doesn't know and maybe like I maybe my like perplexity is like that's like the point of her character and maybe I'm not getting that but what perplexes me is like how she doesn't do anything like she just doesn't seem she's always focused she's always extremely focused on Dawson uh in a way that like is so like it like that that feels very like ridiculous to me like Dawson's focused on Joey but Dawson's larger focus is I think on his um his love of movies and then later like wanting to be a director and working towards a film career you know Pacey is I think Pacey is focused on, you know, his relationships, but also focused on finding a sort of path and finding a validation and, and finding, since he is not academically inclined, finding, really trying to find a self, a sense of self-worth and trying to figure out, like, what is it in life that I'm good at since, like, books are not it for me, like, like, I, there has to be another way and like which I in 
how and where I can be valued. And Jen is sort of kind of like on a similar, like is also like has like that sort of same similar path and that like Jen is trying to overcome like past traumatic experiences to then come out on the other side for herself as well. But Joey is just kind of like, what, what, what is it? Where are we? What are we doing? Fixated. (laughs) Fixated. Just fixated on the sort of like men in her life. And I'm just like so much to the point of like, you know, you're talking about like when we meet Jack, like, right. They bond over art. And later, I think in season two, maybe it's season three, like I might be getting confused. Um, She like draws this mural. Like she's like, she's very like, and I'm like, oh, good. Like Joey's finally going to get like a focus. Like she's going to find some other shit to do. <laughs> like, I'm so proud of this girl right now. Um, But right. she never does. Like this show like mysteriously drops that. And then I think later on, then it's like she likes books or something. Because then she wants to like, not be like a writer, but like work in publishing or be an editor. And I, I don't know. Like I just, I'm, con- I'm just confused. Cause I, and, and it's, it, I'm confused and I'm even more confused and upset because I'm like, she is too poor <laughs> to be this fixated. Like on these, the, the, to be fixated the way she's fixated on the men in her life. Like she's too broke for this. Right. Um, <clears throat> Joey was, is actually my least no she's not my least favorite andy's my least favorite but of like the main core cast that's there from start to finish joey is my least favorite person on dawson's creek she still is but i feel like i understand her character more now that i've watched the series like five or six times (laughs) and um and i understand a bit more now about like coping mechanisms so the Joey we meet is deeply insecure and like she like like tries to cover it up with almost this like false bravado. She's insecure about um her 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 poverty. She's insecure about her father being incarcerated. She's insecure about her sister's interracial relationship and how that will reflect negatively upon her. Just a very insecure person. And you know, I mentioned earlier that Gail's life is perfect. Well, Gail's life is also in large quantities Dawson's life. He lives that perfect cishet white nuclear firmly middle class family um, with all that support and all that love. And I really feel like because consider, too, that she's known Pacey for the same amount of time she's known Dawson. Right. And like arguably not arguably, inarguably, she and Pacey have more in common. Um, but she's this fixated on Dawson. I really feel like her fascination with Dawson, not that, not to take away from real love that she has for him is a form of escapism for this girl that if she can be part of his world, that this will make her life better by proxy. Um, because he has a sort of life that she would want for herself in a perfect world. Um, I really do see it as a form of escapism. Like he's like a living fantasy. And in that regard, her and Dawson have quite a bit in common. Um, seeing people more as a fantasy than as a reality, because when that reality of Dawson hits and he's not the perfect boyfriend, he's a thing standing in between her and this dream of art that they dumped on her because that girl ain't had no goals or dreams season one, you guys. when they give finally give her an interest and then Dawson is standing in the way of that and he's not the perfect boyfriend anymore she gets violently shaken out of this fantasy that she was living in 
and she cheats on him with Jack. Um, and it's not cheating the way that Gail cheated, right? Out of boredom. Um, she's, she's cheating because she realizes this isn't, Dawson isn't what I signed up for. Um, but maybe I can get this other guy who's also seemingly perfect. Um, and it's not even completely conscious because Jack has feelings for her and Jack makes a lot of overtures and she tries to resist Jack. But the more Dawson shits on her dream, um, and not directly, right? He just makes it clear that their relationship should be more important to her than her dream. After years of her supporting his dream, she feels distanced from him and rightly so. I really feel like all of her behaviors are manifestations of her insecurity and also like low key depression. I feel like all the characters in Dawson's Creek were dealing with some form of depression with the exception of Dawson. Um, you know, um, Joey had a sort of situational depress depression. Um, Jen had depression as a result of um, childhood trauma and being sexualized at too young of an age. Pacey also had situational depression due to his home life and his family life. Andy was clinically depressed. Jack had depression as a result of being in the closet. Like literally everyone was dealing with depression, but Dawson and they manifested in various ways. This shit was steamy, you guys. Then he comes out as gay and every male love interest that's thrown at him, it's so lackluster. I'm not feeling it at all. Like, I feel like that's why his career didn't take off despite how ridiculously attractive he is. Um, because he really could not act his way out of a paper bag playing a gay man interested in other men. Listen, like, listen, there are a lot of straight boys who can't do it. They just can't. Like, there's he no, didn't have the range. You he guys. didn't have the range. They don't have the range. It's real. Um. So yeah, that was irritating to watch because I'm like, this is such a disservice to the gay community. <laughs> um. So yeah, he comes out after Dawson and Joey's relationship implodes partially on his account, right? Because like right. he and Joey had this whole little thing on the side. They were making out. It was kind of she, she, she. Didn't she draw him nude at one point? Like she yes, drew him like, like one of her French it. girls. <laughs> she, she drew him like one of her French girls, you guys. <laughs> like it was really steamy, really steamy. And Joey's father's released from prison. Um, and this is like a big thing, a moment that happened. So prior to this, um, no. So after he's released from prison, Dawson very quickly learns that he's out here selling drugs again, the shit that he got locked up for, but Dawson doesn't say anything. And, um, thereby forcing Joey later on to find out and be forced to turn her father into the police. And she says she will never forgive Dawson and they break up. Tomorrow also comes back season two, which is horrible, which is awful. That's, that's all I have. It's awful. And I didn't want it and I didn't need it. And some, for some reason, the show did it. It's awful. And they continue to portray this relationship as, you know, a love lost, this very bittersweet one that got away. The world doesn't understand us type. <laughs> Which is gross. It's so gross. gross. It's so gross. Whew. But yeah, we learn more about pacing his verbally abusive um, and cruel father and his subservient sort of like despondent doormat type of mom. And we see him um, like actualize, um, like, and his actions in season one make 
perfect sense. They make perfect sense. Um, getting with Tamara and feeling validated from that relationship. There's still no excuse for her getting with him though. And I'm, we're dying on that hill. (laughs) We're going to die on that hill together. Yes. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That's real. Season two also does something that shows rarely do, which is expound upon a supporting character, um, which is Andy. Um, Andy is shown as for me, deeply annoying, but very bright, um, very charismatic, charming, you know, fairly charming girl, but she, um, and Pacey end up being in this relationship. And I consider Andy to be Pacey's real first true love. Um, and, um, as they start to get together, he realizes, or after they've gotten together, um, you know, he challenges her and she challenges him and they're age appropriate and they can talk about real life shit and, um, they don't have to date in secret and everything's good. And then Pacey realizes that she has a lot of mental issues. She's dealing with clinical depression, but on top of that, she's having, um, delusions like paranoid delusions about her dead brother, Tim. And these type of, um, mental illnesses run in her family. Her mother has the same problem. Right. Like she's, yeah. And that's true. And he has a lot going on. She does, you guys. And like, so like, like I said, I find Andy annoying, but she's one of those characters again, whom I understand. And I like how much work was put into her that we didn't have to wait another season for her to be a whole person. Cough, Joey, cough. (laughs) Um, Oh, and then, oh yeah. 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 Uh, (laughs) And then um, Dawson's parents, Mitch and Gail start like sleeping with each other. Right. I mean, they never, like even when she was fucking her co-anchor they never stopped fucking they didn't stop fucking until mitch realized she was cheating right right um, and but oh, like, sorry, that's a lot of energy to expect right <laughs> fucking your husband and your side dude like I imagine the kegels necessary <laughs> to keep this girl like, well, i hope you had your wheaties hon mostly because like and i said that i like the co-anchor looks like eh, whatever but like mitch seems like somebody who like blows your back out like who really like rearranges your guts so like i really that's a lot but i just and so holds him that way i think in in the first somewhere at least twice in the first four episodes of season one dawson walks in on his parents fucking and like one scene mitch has her on the kitchen table about to go to town you guys see that's that's so athletic (laughs) Like, I'm just like, Gail is definitely taking her, her centrum and her, her, her Flintstones and eating her Wheaties for this, this energetic ass. And she, and she just, she probably like jugs cranberry juice, like in between. Yeah. And she just does keggles in the car on the way to work. I don't know. On the way to work. I don't know. I don't know. She don't know what she's doing. I don't know what she's doing, but she's doing it. Like, um, and yeah, they start, cause you know, she, a good white, you know, she, her good white husband is gone. So now she's learning her lessons. She's really, she's really, you know, trying to like, she knows she's, she's trying to pull it together. That's cannot be without your good white husband. Um, I think she realized like, you know, once he tossed her in the hurricane, um, you know, it all came to her that like dating is hard. There's not a lot of good ones out here, and you fucked up in a major way. Are you no really way. trying to start over with co-anchor, dude? No, you're not. No, you're no, not. You're not. <laughs> you're not. 
She had that Beyonce talk with herself. She's like, are you really trying to divorce Jay-Z, untangle your assets and, and do other shit? No, no, you're not. You're not oh, doing any of that. So she put, she put on some all night and she was like... She did. She was like... <laughs> <laughs> she let Mitch have his lemonade moment and she was just like, take me back. Yeah, she, she tried. Sure did. She sure did. Like the beginning of that record is Mitch and the end of that record. Like the sand capsules and the all night moments, those were Gail, you guys. Those were Gail. <laughs> love me. Um, back. um Dawson and Joey get back together. Womp womp. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> like I hate those two. I, they're so insufferable together. It's like because they're because they're because they're both like very self absorbed. Like and they uh, get together and it just is like it's worth and it's like I didn't know it could be worse. Um anyway, so Wait, really quickly on something you just said about them being self-absorbed. Joey's self-absorption flies under the radar for a lot of people because she has a hard life and she's poor. But, like, let's not get it twisted. Joey literally makes everything about her, even when, like, Jen came to town and Dawson didn't know about her feelings. And Joey, like, Jen didn't even know who the fuck she was. She, like, it's like a personal vendetta with her now. No, absolutely. Like, I mean... (laughs) There were, like, I think there were several times in season one and season two where I would, like, just out loud say, like, Joey, this has nothing to do with you, honey. Like, just stop. Like, you're yes. you're inserting yourself into a situation that, like, has absolutely nothing, like, it has nothing to do with you in any type of way. Um, I think even Dawson, like, says it to her, at, like, once. He's like, Joey, it has nothing to do with you. Like, it's not about you. And she just, like, looks at him. Like I remember nuts. the exact episode too. Like she came into his storming into his room or something. Um, oh no, 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 no. This is when she interrupted his first date with Jen, when he brought Jen to the Royale and she's sitting next to them, like li- straight up interrupting their date and like s- making snide comments to Jen. And then like Dawson, like drags her outside. He's like, what's your problem? And she's like, my problem is you haven't spoken two words to me ever since Little Miss Highlights showed up. And it's like, bitch, bitch. I'm on a date. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not about you, Joey. It's not about you. It's not about you, babe. Like, well, that's why they're insufferable because they're like, they bring out the worst in each other, honestly. They, they do. Even I think in, there's like, there's an episode where like, she tries to have sex with him and he's like yeah no this isn't like this isn't you like or or something and she's like and he's she just make scrap that she just makes everything about her that's all that's it um so what you're talking about I, I believe happens in season three so yeah we're gonna we talk go. about that um but yeah it's it's wild and the thing about joey is that she very much wants people on her terms. Like when she wants Dawson, he needs to want her when she's ready for Dawson. He needs to be ready for her. And, um, this is how she, she takes his attitude into, um, um, future relationships, which we'll get into. Um, but she's very, very, very self-absorbed and he's very, very self-absorbed and together they're just really hard to watch. And it's really, I think back about that on that time, 1998, 1999, when seasons one and two were airing and like people were really rooting for Dawson and Joey, because again, Joey had been coded as the good girl by virtue of her virginity. And, um, 
and Jen not being a virgin. And Jen didn't really have a fan club, but I was always team Jen, not even wanting Jen to be with Dawson because the way he treated her at the end of their relationship season one was low key shitty, but just wanting Jen to have a win. I wanted Jen to win you guys. And And I I was all about Jen. I just, Jen deserved Jen. Jen deserved. That's it. Um, so season two, good, bad, or basic? Um, the whole Abby Morgan plot line really threw a wrench in this for me. I was gonna say good, but like Abby being used as sort of a vehicle for for Jen to regress and her relationship with her grandmother to implode, I'm still on the fence of whether that was ridiculous or brilliant. Um, oh, I thought it yeah, was. Yeah, I'll, I'll say it's fine. I'll say it's fine. Um, I want to say, I want to say like, it's, it's good. Um, mostly cause I do like that Abby Morgan plot, like, uh, in the Jen regression plot, mostly cause I, I felt like that was, I just, well, I like Jen and I just, I like that. Um, and I like, and I thought like that was just, I, I'm of the same, I'm of the mind that like, that regression plot is just uh, honest. Um, I think, and in, in in terms of like, I think that's real. Like when you're in terms of like when you're trying to get better, I, like you can't get better without like relapse. Like you know, in a sense, like mm-hmm. without regressing a bit. And I right. I liked that, and I thought that was very, and the fact, and like when Jen like sort of like when everything that happens happens. Um, and Jen like really comes to that, like, you know, punch to the gut, like, no, like this can't like continue. Like I have to, like, I really do have to get this together. I I loved it. I, I, I really empathize with it and related to it. I think. Um, so that, well, the reason why I say I'm on the fence is not because I think the regression plotline was good. I wasn't good. I think it was good for all the reasons you stated. I do think when people are trying to like, you know, get their shit together, get their lives together and do better, there is going to be a bit of a regression. Um, it's just that Abby Morgan was just such a hyper, um, well, for lack of a better term, cruel character. Um, Jen's before Abby was coded as someone who had was a fairly decent judge of 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 the kind of um friends that she made so I can understand her being friends with Abby if she's regressing back to who she was when her life was kind of in shambles in New York but like the Abby character is such a cruel person I think she set up that way so that when Abby dies the audience doesn't it won't feel too bad for her but i think the whole my friend died and i got my shit together plot would have hit harder if abby was someone that she could have loved a friend that she truly cared about so that's why i'm kind of on the fence of whether i like the abby morgan plot line or not the regression i think was done really really well um there's one episode also where like jen sets up a date with an older guy and like he attempts to rape her and that was like you know one of the first like shocks right for her that maybe i'm not living right um i shouldn't have brought this older guy to my grandmother's house um but like she comes she goes down this like really shitty road and doesn't come to the rude awakening until abby's funeral where everyone's pretending to have cared about this person 
and she doesn't want that to be her. Um, I'm not, I, I have no suggestions on how that could have been made better. I'm just always straddling the fence of whether it was, it could have been done better or it was brilliant as is. I have no firm opinions, um, like at all about Abby Morgan. I just, I'm very in the middle, um, about what I think about that. But, um, Dawson and Joey broke up at the end of season two that happened. And I think that's why I'm like, okay, this season is, is good enough. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, and I, like I said before, I like the Andy and Jack characters. I think they were developed well, even if Kurt Smith was the wrong person to play a gay man. Like he just, yeah. I I have more on that in season three. Um, it's a mess. So season two, if I had to pick some musty episodes, I like season two, episode two, Crossroads, season two, episode three, Alternative Lifestyles, season two, episode five, Full Moon Rising, season two, episode 10, High Risk Behavior, season two, episode 11, Sex, She Wrote, season two, um episode 17 psychic friends season two episode 18 a perfect wedding season two episode 19 rest in peace um season two episode 21 changes and then season two episode 22 parental discretion advised mm-hmm. um i think that last episode actually like i want to say with the exception of um, season four and season six, the Dawson's Creek season finale episodes have always been in like my top. They do season finales really well. They really like give you just enough to be hungry for the next season, which I've always appreciated, but still feel some form of closure in at least one respect. Right. I, I same. I think some sometimes the openers can be shaky, but I think the like the the series yeah the series the season finales are always really like nice and tight and and clear and um yeah so let's jump into season three season three the eve character is introduced she's some sort of like half-baked attempt that the writers have of giving dawson a sexual awakening she's the gen we meet in season one on steroids, not like drugs, like, like, you know, cause Jen has like a, a minor substance abuse problems, but like, like she's like the hypersexual version of Jen to the point where she, her skin always looks dewy and sweaty at all times. Yeah. At all times. Um, <laughs> I, it, in, in another, in another show, like I would absolutely like hate the Eve character, but from the but I'm never particularly bothered by her, mostly because like from the beginning the show sort of codes her as like not like a real person. Like, um, in that the season three episode one, like a virgin, where like we meet her on this bus, they her and Dawson talk about the movie like Risky Business, and you know, they talk about this character from Risky Business, the the girl, the the um the uh, sex worker who uh, sleeps with Tom Cruise's character and they specifically talk about how that character is not really a character. She's sort of just um, an amalgamation of all the like fantasies of Tom Cruise's mind. And I think 
in that the show, like in that sort of opening scene, the Dawson's Creek makes it clear that like Eve is sort of the same type of figure that she's not really like a real person and she's not meant to be. She's just like an amalgamation of all the sort of like hot teenage fantasies of, of Dawson's mind. Even though that like, even though later on they try to like give her like a purpose, like a real purpose of like being there um, in that right. like she's Jen's long lost sister. Yeah. So she's she, Jen's half sister whom half-sister. Jen's mother had given up um, for adoption because she'd had this child when she was a teenager. Right. Um, but she's not, she's like, she's not like a real person. You guys. She's just like, she's not, she's not like a real person. And I, I'm completely with Alex here. Um, Eve is a, is a very non offensive um, figure because she very much is set up as a fantasy. Um, and honestly giving her, this is one of the rare occasions I will say this, giving her backstory is counterproductive and does it not hit. Really <laughs> us. It does not hit. <laughs> you know what? Like, and funny enough, I really, really appreciated that from the jump, the show was like, okay, so this, this female is not real. Like, just so you know. And to be honest, I wish more shows would do that. Like, I wish more shows would just be honest about, like, the purpose that, like, this this person is, like, serving within the narrative. Because I, I think I think what really, what I appreciated the most was that, like, the show is just upfront and honest about it from the jump. They were like, this character is not a real person. She's a fantasy. She's, like, a, like just a figure. Like, she's not going to do real shit. Like, don't expect any, like, growth or, like, that's not what she's here for. And I feel like, and I feel like shows should do it more often because I feel like, all I'm saying is that more shows should do that. More shows should be upfront and honest about, like, fantasy, like, type of, like, figures or characters that, like, aren't meant to be, like, real people. I I think it would help. It would help, at least for me, I think, with this ongoing conversation of, like, well-written female characters or like badly written female characters or like whatever. Cause like, if you don't know that somebody is like not is, if you don't know that someone's there for like a specific purpose, like, or like, or you can, or here, let me rephrase that. You can judge something fairly when you know, like what the purpose of them is. You know what I mean? I completely agree. Um, honestly, like I said, the only thing I feel like they, the only place I feel like they dropped the ball was in trying to give this character a complexity after the fact, because season three, episode one is more or less Eve's pilot, her introduction to the show. You framed her in a very specific manner. Now you're trying to give her all of this complexity and history and intention. It's like, and girl, like, I don't need it. You already said what you wanted to do. Right. I don't need it. And I don't want it. Like, go on with that. Go on with that. <laughs> like, just let her disappear. Like, I don't care. <sighs> Even if it's like in a, you could, you could have her disappear in like a, like a cloud of like dust. Like, I don't, it doesn't matter because like you, right. you said what she was from the jump. That's that's what I want. I think the best way to have coded someone like Eve is to just have her like be this very bohemian person that's like nomad. That maybe just like gets in her car and goes from place to place, has no roots. Um, And we could have still used, you know, the the backstory that like she's adopted without, you know, to justify this without having to make her Jen's sister. Feel me? Right. And she just happens to be in Cape Side for the summer. She sees this kid. 
She's interested in his overthinking verbose ways. And then she leaves at the end of the summer. It didn't have to be a bigger deal than that. Like, y'all were doing a lot. Doing too much. Doing too much. Anyway, but yeah, she's, she's, Eva's there and she's, she's like, um. And did you catch this? As soon as she becomes like a real person, like her skin becomes like, 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 like the sweat is gone. The dewiness is gone. (laughs) I did clock that. Yo, just like so somebody finally got her to towel off. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, damn, like y'all listen, somebody was going crazy with like the because you know like you you can make your you make yourself look like that, like you put baby oil on and then you mm-hmm. spray yourself with water and then like they somebody looked like they also put like a little glitter on her as well. But like they did. But and this um, is why she's like she's so clearly the hyper gen, because if you think back to season one joey's character if she wears makeup at all it's a very matte lipstick when jen is introduced to her to us her face is very very dewy um there's like a pink shimmer on her cheeks and jen always wears lip gloss and so even the way that they set up these characters in makeup is supposed to tell you like who's the good girl and who's the bad girl much later on in the show when we meet audrey she's the same way like dewy complexion glossy lips like it's they the way they play with makeup to try to code these characters i thought was super interesting no yeah and you always have like an eye for that i always like miss stuff like that but um you're absolutely right joey Um, was out here wearing lipstick that was the same color as her mouth you guys (laughs) (laughs) eve is there and she like is sort of like um she comes to you know, get Dawson all hot and bothered, and then as well as like throw a wrench um, into just generally be wild and throw a wrench into uh, many well laid plans. Um, his dad is like the coach, the football coach, becomes a football coach at the high school. Mm-hmm. And we also meet Henry this season, who is wonderful. And then we have the first black person, well, not like the first black person, but like two prominent black characters that like show up in the season for like the first time. And then we deal with Jack's sexuality. It's a lot. It's a lot. Season three had a lot going on. So where do you want to start first? Um, let's jump right into Nikki green and principal green. I, I want to discuss that. I, okay. So I love Nikki. Nikki is Nikki Green is played by Bianca Lawson of, you know, Queen Sugar, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, every teen television show that you've ever seen, fame. Saved uh, by the Bell of the New Class, the- A Pretty Little Liars. Liars. <laughs> like any teen show, she's been in it, playing a teen, um, the beautiful, light-skinned black girl. And so we, and here she is again in rare form. Uh, playing Nikki Green, the beautiful light-skinned black girl, uh, daughter to Principal Green. And she's sort of the first, like, black female character, like, in the context of the show. And she is amazing. I love her. Um, I was saying this to Em. Isn't she the only? (laughs) I think she's the only black female character. I think there's a, I think there's another, I want to, there is somewhere, like, either, maybe it's probably, it's probably in season four. You know what I was talking about, like it's step in Stepford Wives when they they just do like a pan. Or a pan oh yeah, that, there's that. a black okay. person that's like strategically placed so that you can see yeah, them. I remember. Like, Dawson's Creek does have like a couple of those. 
they don't speak, but they're like, there's like a, a strategic sort of <laughs> pan to them. Um, so, uh, Nikki Green is, uh, actually gets to speak. Um, and she, we meet her and she's a filmmaker. And I was telling um, this in a private conversation, but I was saying that I want to, to my mind, to date, Nikki Green is still the best black female, like the best written black female character um, or and best treated female character on a teen television show. And that's not saying a lot, but she's the, I think this, her depiction is still the best one. And you you mean as a supporting character, of course. Yeah, as a supporting character. Right. I mean, I mean, even I would say like even people who are supposed to be in the principal cast, like I think she's still. I want to say Nikki Green is is still even treated be- better than like a Josie Keller. No, um, well, Josie is is part of the supporting cast as well. No, but I completely agree. Um, um, well, she's part of the supporting cast, but she's in the principal. Right. She's, okay. I feel you. I feel you. Right. Um, but yeah, Nikki Green got better treatment than a lot. Of, first of all, she was. Let's talk about just Bianca, Bianca Lawson's characters alone. Her character on Say by the Bell, the new class. Okay, that's negligible. But when we talk about her character, um, Emily on Pretty Little Liars, when we talk about Emily Bennett from TVD, when we talk about, um, gosh, she's been on so many teen shows. Kendra mm-hmm. on Buffy. They were, they were, they were treated with roughshod. You guys, like it was trash. Um, and recently the only character that I've seen that matches and surpasses the treatment given to Nikki Green is the character of Malika on, um, freeform show, Good Trouble. And so it literally took 21 years for a black supporting character to be treated as well as Nikki Green. Right. As well as Nikki Green. And like, you guys, that's real. Like, and when I tell you, like, this is not saying a lot, because like, even Nikki is like not treated super super well like she's what she's only in like three episodes total in the season something um em and i discussed it's like it's in the you know it's in the details of things um it's all about the details of things and caring about the details of things in terms of uh black characters you know nikki um something that you know when we meet nikki we learn that she is well, first of all, like Dawson in his tr- in true white male fashion very much dismisses her, right? Um, mm-hmm. When they meet at this film festival. And then we go on to find out that not only is Nikki a filmmaker herself, but she is way more talented than he is, like, and more accomplished than, than Dawson is. Um, mm-hmm. And we He learn- has a Seth Cohen moment. He does. He has a Seth Cohen moment. And, um... She she's a she's a formidable from filmmaker in her own right, but you know she's also a, a kid of like divorced parents and she's dealing with that. Um, but she uh, is passionate about music and like dance and like other types of art. I mean, we even meet we even get to see Nikki like in her own bedroom, which I really cannot stress enough how like important that is and. I don't think I've ever seen since for like a black female character, not even, like I said, not even Josie. Like I've never, I don't think we ever see Josie's bedroom like throughout all of like Riverdale. Um, We sure don't. And what what about that girl Valerie that he was with in season one? We never, Um, as soon as he and Valerie break up, we never see Valerie again. 
Or the other pussy cat. I forget her name. Yo! Yes, Melody. We never see Valerie Melody ever again. And not only does Dot we see her bedroom, but Dawson goes to like her house and uh, has dinner with her like her dad. Um, we see, yeah, we see Nikki's home. We see like their dining room. Like you know, Principal Green talks about her and talks about how she like Dawson. You know, was obsessed with film like at, at an early age. Like you know, she asked for a Super 8 camera when she was ten. Um, you know, we get, we understand that, like, she's a daddy's girl. Um, we get that from the narrative, uh, based on, like, the conversation, the small scene that happens at the dinner table. And, and like I said, I don't, I don't think we've ever, we don't, we don't get that depth with any other Mm -hmm. black female teen character, like, since. And it's, it's ridiculous. (laughs) Like, it's ridiculous. Everybody needs to just do better. Yeah, um, you know, like I was saying to to Alex, um, the 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 since then the only black female character I've seen treated this well is, um, you know, the Malika character on Good Trouble. She's a supporting character that's part of the principal cast. From the very beginning, she's coded as having her own dreams and goals and aspirations. Um, she we see Malika's bedroom often. Um, Malika lives in an apartment community with a bunch of white people and um, the Asian woman who's like their landlord but she has her own subgroup of black girlfriends that she gets with regularly she has her own relationships she's got backstory we learn about her family her father her brother her mother and like i was wondering what about this would seem so strange to me and then alex brought up nikki and i'm like oh because they never do this that's why this is strange because they never do this for us and unlike nikki thankfully um malika was you know not written off in a few episodes. She's like a fixture. She's part of the principal cast. She's been there since season one. I think the show's going to get like a third season, I believe. And I've never seen them do this for a black girl, especially like, like uh, a, a black girl that wasn't light skinned or wasn't ambiguous. And it's really, really sad that when I think about just black girls in general being treated well on TV as supporting characters, all I have to go on are Nikki and Malika you guys <laughs> right that's it that's all we have to go on and it's like and that in it's like you said like 20 what 20 something odd years like because Dawson's Creek ended its run in when like 2000 2003 no but I'm I'm counting from when Nikki left and that, oh. that, that, that third season premiered in like 2000 or like the end of 99. And then you have like good trouble, which premiered in like 2018. So I'll say like roughly 20 years to do this. Right. Uh, um, but yeah, just, just Nikki and Malika. I, I'm, 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 I've been beating my brain up against the wall for a week since we had that conversation. And I can't think of anyone else. Same. I can't, I really can't think of anybody else. And I'm really, so you guys, listeners, if you, can think of anybody else <laughs> that meets these parameters um please like get us up hit us up on twitter like we because i i couldn't I, and i googled too i was i even googled uh like black female characters like uh and i and i couldn't really think of anybody else so all that to say like come on like this is i uh do better do, do better black girls have inner lives we deal with people like we have thoughts we're interesting um get to know us because like i i guess you 
well, maybe you don't care, <laughs> but like, um, get to know us. We're fun. We're interesting. Um, I mean, I'll put it from a perspective of something that they might care about. Developing your black girl character as well means that the development of the show overall will be better when everything else is like going swimmingly, but then you, you, you know, the car won't start and it sputters when it comes to your black characters. It doesn't just make you look racially incompetent. It makes you look like incompetent writers. That's, that's all I'm true. Say on that. <laughs> no, that's, no, that's exactly. That's so real. Like you, it's also a testament to like how good a, a writer you are. Um, if you can't like make those, no, and that's real. Like if you can't make a character work um, outside of these boundaries, like you, you, you're just, I don't know. You're not as talented as you think you are, I suppose. Um, so I want to jump right into like the meat of season three, which is this burgeoning relationship between Pacey and Joey. I was here for that. <laughs> I love Joey and Pacey. They're like, yeah, I love Pacey and Joey. They're great. Um, and it starts to, and she just becomes so much, she just chills out when she's with him. I love it. <laughs> like all the things that make her so aggro, like, they don't right. cease. They don't cease, but they they definitely like damp dampen. Right. And I will like relate this to something that I said when we were talking about seasons one and two and her behavior towards Dawson. Um, you know, I did say that she and Pacey, they've known each other the same amount of time, right? As her and Dawson. And they have more in common than her and Dawson, but she's fixated on Dawson, right? Because he like, for, I think in her subconscious mind, he represents this ideal of normalcy. And I think that's why she's so irritating when she's around Dawson, because there's a part of her that still feels insecure, not good enough, and thus try too hard and that's why she's so irritating to watch when she's with Dawson um I feel like there's a part of her uh, inferiority that kicks in that isn't there when she's with Pacey and I love her for Pacey because you know they challenge each other in the similar way that he and Andy challenge one another but um it was all of the best aspects of dating Andy um and for Joey, she finally, you know, was around somebody and they, they weren't official, right? They were just like flirting around the edges, but she was spending time with somebody who really believed in her goals and was pushing her to fulfill her dreams and not just like be a ride or die for his goals and his aspirations, which was new to her. Right. True. Like <laughs> exactly. Like Pasty was definitely like the, the support um to her and and sort of very like laboring i think emotionally for her. well not i don't even think i don't want to say he labored emotionally i think he just was like he called her like on her shit and he was just like what are you doing like you're acting like a like a weirdo like where right. is dawson sort of encouraged it um and so so this dude bought her a wall, you guys, which I'm like, as far as romantic gestures go, this is a fucking gesture for the ages. Um, she has a, like a school project or a contest that gets destroyed and he buys her a whole wall to paint to her heart's content on. And this is when we realize that like Pacey's in love with Joey. And I think this is when she might realize it too, but she hasn't admitted it to herself yet. Um, right. that he's in love with her. Um, it was just, it was the relationship. Like I love a slow burn and this one was really, really well done. Um, 
Dawson sort of like is the, the catalyst unwittingly because he kind of pushes Pacey to her um, after their second breakup and they become really, really close. And post his breakup with Andy, who was cheating on him in the mental health facility that she'd been admitted to, um, Pacey's reassessing things and Joey's reassessing things. And it could be easy to say that they were on the rebound if they got together too soon. So having this be like something that's drawn out for like the 23 episodes, I thought was really well done. Right. They don't kiss until like episode 18. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, so like near the end of the season. Um, And that's when I think things really start to I think he up for them. I want to talk a bit about Jack. <laughs> we got to talk about Jack. <laughs> I want to talk a bit about Jack and the way this Jack plotline is sort of written out and how it will go on to sort of be so aggro. Um, I think for like ever and ever. Amen. But <laughs> continue. But, um, so Jack, like, I guess, like, you know, comes to terms with, like, his sexuality. He realizes he's gay. He realizes he's gay. And, um, it's just in the show, I want, and I don't want to say it's, and I, it's not the act, in the show, just, like, and he eventually gets, like, a love interest, you can call it that, like, a love interest, in the form of, like, his eventual prom date. Um, the way that, like, the show from, like, season three onward to the end of the, the series, the way that they will treat Jack's sexuality is just, like, ugh. Like, and I get that, like, there's only so much. And I don't put, like, a lot of blame on the writers at the time because, like, this is 1998. I'm sure the network was like, absolutely not. You're not going to have boys kissing on television. Like, I don't fault them for that. But it is, like, troubling to me because I think when I look at the way that, like, Jack's story is treated and Jack's sexuality is treated, and then I look at, I think, teen shows of, like, today, like, very recently, like, Gossip Girl and, um, that we just reviewed, and then looking at um, some other not and just other sort of like gay male narratives and teen shows. I think they're like still treated this like I I think they've gotten like Mm -hmm. a bit better but for the most part they're still treated this way. Either like you get one sort of like dry kiss like from two male characters or uh, or it's like they're like, oh yeah, we're gay, but then like they, there's never, it's, it's never realized in any sort of like meaningful way within the show or like the narrative of the show. Yeah, I completely agree with that, and it's very much an issue with gay men. Now, the awful casting of Kerr Smith aside, because he really don't have the range, you guys. Jack's love interest, um, 
Ethan in season three and then later on in season four, Toby um, code their, his reactions and responses to them code him very much as a self-loathing homosexual. Yes, he's very self-loathing. Like, boy, if you don't get the fuck over this and it's always male characters, I swear to God, you guys, because when we when we're dealing with like, for instance, like a Maya and an Emily on Pretty Little Liars, that shit was heated. It, it was chemistry. When we talk about even more recently, um, Cheryl Blossom and Tony Topaz on Riverdale, they have some of the best sex scenes, right? But it's like, why can't you write two men like this? Like, and they, they had male gay characters on Riverdale. They just never got a sex scene, right? Kevin is gay. He never gets a scene. He, Kevin gets like, he gets dry like make some make yeah he gets like he gets like dry kisses sometimes he gets a little wet kisses and then they they cut out <laughs> right and then it, and it's also just this and then even beyond sort of and Ke- with Kevin I think especially because Kevin's character gets ignored a lot like um, yeah it's also just like this ignoring of like their character because like Kevin gets ignored a lot which is wild to me because Kevin and Josie are sort of in the same boat they both get like tossed by the wayside which is wild because they both of them have these sort of like huge things that happen in their like within the course of the narrative these sort of big things that happen and then the show just sort of like never deals with it um because i guess showing it's it's like they can't it's like we understand that like on teen shows romantic relationships are like extremely important right like mm-hmm. because it's within these romantic relationships that like these teens are like sort of discovering who they are and making their foibles and making mistakes and coming of age. Um, we understand that, but then we also know that we have to balance that with sort of like real life shit. And it's like, when it comes to these like male gay characters and the, uh, they are in like black, women like they don't know what they're like they just can't it's like there's no um there's they have no like inner life for for them or can't imagine what their inner life is going to be which is troubling considering which always like troubles me like in a sense because kevin williamson is gay like greg berlanti is gay like the guy who writes Ryan, like, Ryan Murphy's gay, like, the guy who writes, um, Robert Asagio Cortez, like, that's the showrunner and creator of Riverdale, he's also gay, so, I, I'm so, like, but I, I want to see the gay hit the paper, I want to see the gay hit the writer's room, please, right, (laughs) but that's what I'm saying, like, it is in the writer's room, right, because creator, because they're the showrunners and creators, they're in charge of, like, coming up with these storylines, plotting out these arcs, and yet they cannot do it. And, like, they're, and by the way, all these male characters, these male gay characters are white. Like, all of them are. And this is, like, why I want to bring up Elite. As much as, like, uh, there's, like, this show, like, on Netflix called Elite, and as much as Elite, like, has other problems, like, has, like, racial problems and, like, whatever, like, I think Elite, like, going forward should be going forward should be like um how you write like queer male characters like because i something that's so impressive to me about the series is like this way that they're like completely unafraid to like integrate these gay male characters in the narrative 
and um have and then have them be not only important to the narrative but like important to other characters active and they're active when in, within the narrative the thing about jack is that like once he once he like comes to terms with his sexuality it's like they like shove this character to the wayside and i bring it up because like i said it's something that will continue to happen throughout teen series in time um they shove him to the wayside he's like always he always feels like he's off in his own plot line it feels like he's never really that like he's not integrated uh or endeared to the other characters like in a really real meaningful way like he's there when they need him but then like otherwise he's just sort of like off doing something and in like in more than just sort of like negligence it feels like um self-loathing it it does feel like a little loathing a bit and it feels a little um <laughs> like uh like they kind of hate him and i uh, i just i'd like to see i'd like to see us get over that that's all don't tell me you took this much care with these other characters but then you just throw Kerr smith who is like the most wet blanket of gay characters um who has no chemistry with other men it's not it's not just that Jack is self-loathing, right? When you throw in someone who doesn't have the range to play a gay character and who isn't gay themselves, it compounds the issue. I just feel like a lot of internalized homophobia was projected onto that Jack character. And it was really painful to watch. It's and Jack is very so much painful on- to watch. So hard, you guys. And Jack is very much, like Alex said, like on the fringes of everything. When he starts to come into his own and he's no, it's, it's, he's no longer the teenager who's having this existential angst about his gayness, like he's very much pushed to the fringes and off to the side and doing his own thing. And, um, you know, like it's just it's just so mishandled. And you can't have this many gay people on board and be fumbling the gay bag like this. <laughs> like, right? And 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 then like he like jack always has like this in like he like doesn't he like hates like femme like like gay men who are like a bit more femme and like he has like this like not hatred but like this utter like i think contempt and disdain for like Mm -hmm. quote-unquote gay things like he's super obsessed with like like mask and like appearing as mask and like other gay men appearing as a mask like even i think in the fourth season like in later in some later seasons there's like this gay bar and like jack only likes it because like you know it's not like those other fairies like you know or like whatever um right uh, no that's that's real like and the thing is it's not just a femme phobia with jack because when we talk about characters like ethan um in season three and then later toby in season four they're not femme his problem with them is literally just that they're out and they're proud of being out so right. like he wants his partners to be self-loathing just like him what is wrong with you <laughs> like, what it's, it's not even enough that they're masked like they gotta be in this closet with you nah fam nah fam like and honestly, I think, and I want to say, like, when we meet Toby, and I, we'll get to this, Toby at first, like, doesn't even want to, like, fuck with Jack like that, because he's like, you know what, I don't actually have a problem with being gay, like, I, 
like having sex with men and I'm very secure in my identity. So like you go be over there. Like um that very much cheats his gayness and by proxy the gayness of any potential love interest as some sort of affliction. He's right. definitely the sort who I could see like 20 years prior and en- enrolling himself in like a, a gay conversion therapy. <laughs> I just and I'm like Jack what's going on babe what's going on like let's talk like um and I guess and I guess to like be you know for to give some benefit of the doubt or like to be fair you know maybe that is like a really real narrative right and this is why the show maybe should have been kept in the south and not New England because maybe that's that's fair for like a young gay man coming of age in the South, like that sort of self-loathing is, is right, is right there. It's right on track. But I think the problem is that like we, Jack continues to, will always, that he never really grows out of it. Right. Because like when Jack joins the frat, like that's what the frat is about in a sense. Right. Right. Of him being like, ugh, not like those other gays. Like I'm a good, like I'm a, and like and we'll get like i said we'll get to that because that's later jack on. definitely gets off on being like the token gay who's not like those gays over there <laughs> he's not like those gays over there it's um so like i'm normal i like normal shit i'm masculine and i don't shove my identity in your face like he's very much like the, the like he's like the right wing gay he, he is he's like your like trump supporter gay um mm-hmm. you're all right gay but uh yeah and it's just something and it i guess like i we, i bring it up now because it's it this is the beginnings of it really start to manifest in season three with um ethan and talking to ethan and being with ethan and shout out to ethan because like i i would have never like i would have been like you gotta do something else friend um with someone else because i i can't really take on all of that with you right now um but then he later does remember like after jack like refuses to like like engage with him when they go to prom they break up and by the time jack tries to get him back he's back with his (laughs) (laughs) ex-boyfriend i was like yes ethan don't waste no time don't waste time (laughs) ethan was like i'm gonna go out there and i'm gonna find somebody better than you to like his ex and then like met jack i was like listen and then went straight back to that, like, listen, let's work it out. Wave. These self-hate gays are not the wave. They are not the wave. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, thought, I thought I knew, but I didn't. <laughs> but yeah, like, um, so Henry is also introduced, like, hey, he's a love interest for Jen. And he's all the things that she deserves. And he's sweet and he's pure and he's kind and he's innocent. And when we do our season two recap... Um, excuse me, our sec our second half of this recap, um, seasons four through six, I will explain to you why at the end of it all, I couldn't be here for Henry and it was 100% the writer's doing. Um, but I love Jen season three. She got her little life together. She was on a new path. And this is a Jen more or less that we're going to see for the series' duration. Right. Very overtly feminist, very like, um, uh, sarcastic, very sar- sardonic, uh, and and fun. She be she becomes the head cheerleader by like essentially insulting um, the by insulting the current head cheerleaders, uh, and it's hilarious. It's a great episode. It's really funny. But yeah, I love this relationship between Jen and Henry because 
you know, he clearly lusts after her, but he doesn't treat her like an, a sexual object. And this is the first time that we see in the first, it's implied the first time ever that Jen is properly courted. Right. Cause Jen doesn't really know what to do with him at first. She's like, I don't get it. Like, um, until she, yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't get it until she, she gets it. Um, and you know, Henry played by Michael Pitt, um, who, of, who's very much went on to be, uh, an indie darling. And he was still so cute is. and baby faced. <laughs> he was so cute and baby faced on the show. I love it. Season three, after the kiss, before Joey and Pacey finally get together, Dawson finds out about the kiss. And this, his reaction and Andy's reaction was some of the most aggravating, um, frustrating, exhausting shit to watch, you guys. Oh, yeah, like, it was really aggy. Um, Dawson, you know, just shifted into this, like, it was like a tra- watching a Transformer, you guys. He, like, shifted into this, like, very aggressive, possessive, territorial person. Um, he renounced his friendship with Pacey. There's an episode where, um, you know, they're in a, a, a race, a boating race, where, um, he's trying to manipulate the situation to come out as a hero. And then during the race, he almost gets like Pacey's boat destroyed and could have gotten him killed and gets disqualified. Um, because he's like fighting for Joey, like a prize. And Joey goes back to being her aggravating self because now that she understands how much Dawson wants her and that he wants her back, um, she all of a sudden can't decide. Um, and it's sad because it isn't until Dawson gives her permission to go that she chooses Pacey. Uh, which is like my worst. Ugh, I hate that. It's, I, like, it's some, it's like a, it's that, that sort of like plotting is like a fixture on teen series of like the triangle. And then like the, and like the man is the one that like really resolves it. Like, yeah, you can go, I, I need, I need writers to make their female characters just more active. Like in, in right. Cause we even talked about this with like Haley and Jackson. It's like, right. uh, Elijah sort of gives permission to Haley. He's like, yeah, girl, go and, and be with them. It's like, no, like I want my female character to, to choose. Like I want her to choose for herself to be like, you know what? Now I'm done with this. I'm good. Like this is the person I want to be with. And I want to go right back to the OC on this. We had love triangles. We had Marissa, Teresa, and Ryan. Teresa chose to extract herself from that situation. We had Anna, we had Summer, we had Seth. Anna chose to extract herself from that situation. They're not like waiting on this guy to decide and they're not telling him, go be with the other girl. They're realizing I'm worth more than this. Right? Right. Which, which I know, like the, like the argument against that, I think sometimes can be like, well, that's like a cop out. And I can see that in some instances, but like, I, I always prefer that to, to having a man choose. I would, I always prefer like a, a, a woman, like making that, that choice for her own. Cause I think at the end of the day, it still just sends like, a, it sends a more positive message. Right. And this is why I say, like, I feel like all the characters on the show are battling some type of depression. Um, and like, like Dawson is a form of escapism for Joey, because when he finds out and he tells her, you, you can either be with him or you can be my friend. You can't have both. She chooses his friendship 
Um, and he says, it's just friendship. And when she calls him out on that, he's like, well, you should have known I meant I wanted more than that. And like, she'll, she's, so she's with Dawson again. And it's high key, like watching someone in a hostage situation. She's fucking miserable, you guys. But Dawson hasn't given her permission to leave, so she can't leave yet. She misses Pacey like crazy. She's in love with him. She's thinking about him nonstop. But this friendship to Dawson, this ideal of Dawson meets, means more to her in that moment than this very real relationship that she's built with Pacey and the very real possibility of happiness and freedom that she could have with him. And they go off together on a boat and it really rep represents her actualizing her own freedom. But like, you didn't leave until Dawson told you to go. And even when he told you to go, you were resisting and you left him with tears in your eyes. Like, it is so convoluted you guys i just wanted to be very clear that even when she quote unquote chooses pacey she still has very strong ties to dawson and that's why it didn't hit the way it should have hit oh and mitch and gail get remarried yeah girl so yeah. that meme of dawson like crying like on like like and like breaking down crying and making that really ugly face. The, you know, the meme with James Vanderbeek, yeah, it comes from amazing. that season finale episode, season three, <laughs> episode 23. <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. Uh, so obviously season three, 23, uh, true love. Watch it. Must see. Um, must see. <laughs> must see. Uh, I, I will. I'd also put in season three, episode one, like a virgin season three, episode Three, none of the above season three episode seven escape from which island also uh season three episode eight guess who's coming to dinner i want to say when does nikki first show up um season three episode 11 barefoot at cape fest um season three episode 14 valentine's day massacre Episode 15, Crime and Punishment. Episode 16, To Green with Love. Episode, season three, episode 18, Neverland. Season three, episode 19, Stolen Kisses. Season three, episode 20, The Longest Day. Episode 22, The Anti-Prom. And then True, like we said, 23, True Love. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot, but there really a were lot. a lot of heavy hitters. But there were heavy really hitters. Were. Um, but 20 and 20, 20 and 23 are my favorite. Yeah. And I included all of Nikki's episodes. So, um, cause I yeah. want y'all. She's so great. Bianca Lawson turns in Bianca Lawson turns in a performance that like in another era would have like earned her like a series, like a, like a, like a, um, probably like bumped her up to like a series regular, if not like a, a, a constant, cause she gets to be a recurring character. Oh, I like season three. I like season three is like, when I really like season three and over and going forward is like when I really fuck with the show. Do you? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think season three was great and it's actually my favorite season of all the Dawson's Creek seasons that ever Dawson. Same. Um, <laughs> I think like you can get like, if we, if we're always on about like, I think if you didn't want to watch the whole series, I think you could, I think you could pick between four and three to get it. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Like the characters are in seasons three and four, more or less whom they're always, always going to be to be. Yeah. Like they um, grow a bit, but like, like 
they grow still like a bit, but like it's really like um like if you were looking for like the sort of like Dawson's Creek at its peak, like three and four are where it's at. Which is difficult, right? Because a lot of shows that either do this in seasons one or two and then peter off and it gets murky. Dawson three becoming more solid in its middle seasons is actually not that common. <laughs> not that common. And it's funny, like I think I think I also think the show does not like and we'll get to this like in our in the later half of the recap, but I don't I think that this show also does the college fumble really the best. Like the tr- I, the transition to college, I think this show... I agree show, with that. Yeah, I think this show, like, has the best handle on it. And there you have it, folks. This is the first half of our Dawson's Creek recap and what we think made seasons one through three good, bad, basic, and groundbreaking. Dawson's Creek was clearly a show written by boomers and Gen Xers, but the fact that the entire cast sounded like they just left an SAT prep course was part of the show's charm. Who knew that teenagers, a group of people notorious for thinking that they're so much more mature than they are, enjoy watching a group of teenagers who always know the right thing to say? Clearly, Kevin Williamson did. If you haven't already, be sure to check out our patrons-exclusive GBB Dawson's Creek Spotify playlist and tune in next week when we'll be finishing up our discussion on this landmark teen drama. Until then, look out for GBB's upcoming movie review airing this Saturday. Em and I will be discussing 2004's remake of The Stepford Wives. A bonus for top-tier patrons only, GBB's movie reviews will deal with casting, writing, plot pacing, cinematography, and the use of common cinematic tropes in the films that we enjoy. Follow the Good, the Bad, the Basic pod on Spotify to listen to all of our regular weekly episodes on the go. If you love this sort of content, spread the word and become a show producer and patron on Patreon. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly content as well as exclusive bonus material. As always, be sure to check out our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic. And of course, be sure to follow us at Good, Bad, Basic Pod on Twitter. Until next time. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.